The year was 1983, and the crime rate across the nation was skyrocketing. Murders were happening left, right, and center in all the major cities in North America. One film dared to tell the true stories, well, I don't mean true, it's just inspired by, um, the stories of inner city violence and crime. This film was set in North America's biggest city, oh, biggest outside of Mexico City, New York City. So, of course, it was shot in Toronto and was a product of the Canadian tax shelter system. This film, which we're about to talk tonight, uh, God damn it, I can't speak. The film which we're going to talk about tonight features a title that could only come from Canada. Of course, we're speaking about 1983's only Canadian giallo, American Nightmare. It's that by video! Here's a movie that you never seen. The map is some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles, there'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video. And now the show will begin. Hello, I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham Singh. Welcome back to another episode of Merry Movie Mayhem. Uh, very excited to watch this movie tonight. I'm very excited. It's on YouTube for all the watch. So I recommend everyone wa- like listening. Stop right now. Go type in American Nightmare 1983. Watch it on YouTube. It's there. This is a grimy, grungy movie. It is technically considered to be a lost film because the original film elements were long gone. Um, it uh, was basically virtually unknown until Scorpion releasing put it out on DVD in 2012. Of course, it was from a, I think, an SVHS or maybe a Betamax uh, tape version of it. Um, but good new- the good news is there actually is a 16mm print in the greater Toronto area. I believe it's in Hamilton right now, but it was screened as part of the Trash Palace, which runs out of the fantastic Cinecycle mini cinema and bike shop uh, in downtown Toronto, which is located off Spadina, uh, Spadina Avenue, down an alleyway in an old coach house. So that's a very long way of saying this movie's great, uh, and it's not 100% lost. So guys, before we get into the film, is there anything interesting we've seen since we last recorded, which was not too long ago? Uh, yes. Okay, what have you seen, Phil? Uh, I saw What About Me, a movie that was part of uh, Criterion's New York Stories, and it's one of the last movies that will be leaving Criterion at the end of this month, uh, June. It's directed by and starring uh, somebody named Rachel Amadeo. And it has cameos by Richard Hell, Didi Ramone, and Johnny Thunders, and Jerry Nolan. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I rewatched uh, Seven. I don't know if we need, I don't think we need to talk about that, but you know, it's kind of a a comfort watch yeah it's, uh, it's, it is a very comforting watch it's a good movie yeah i like it a lot it still yeah. holds up exactly and it looks great yeah and with what we know about kevin spacey it makes it even all the more skeetier oh god yeah the way he says pederast <laughs> I, I like the like almost imagined i think unnamed uh just detective city that it's set in where it's just always downpouring rain and yes yeah because it was shot in los angeles but it was inspired by new york city or especially the rainy season in new york which is also which is right now actually i just always assumed the movie was new york no it's meant to be la this faceless unknown city where it's constantly raining because like there's no there's no desert fields outside no. of new york where they go to find out what's in the box and we're not going to say the what's in the box line no. because... We already said it, man. Yeah, I know, but, but I mean, but not in the way people say it. Yeah. Because anytime you get a box now and you're like, oh, what's that? Somebody, some dumb person goes, mm-hmm, and we're not going to do that. Because I saw that movie in the theater and it wasn't spoiled what? for me. And Weren't you like 12? I was 12. Oh, my God. But they were, it was an AA movie. And, and that movie wasn't spoiled for you. <laughs> it wasn't spoiled for me. I saw it like a month after it came out and... The most exciting movie... So it was just kind of like, what? (laughs) Yeah, the most exciting movie for me when I was 12 was Mortal Kombat. I vividly remember the seven uh, poster inside uh, the movie theater where I went to go see Mortal Kombat that summer. But you saw that when you were 12 in the theaters? Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) I don't know if that explains a lot or confuses me more. uh, The... the, uh... 
a movie that I saw in theaters that I shouldn't have at a young age was Bram Stoker's Dracula. Got in my dad. Oh, yeah. That took me and my buddy to that nice rated R film when mm-hmm. we're uh, like only 12 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that was another AA movie. But it was, it was so funny. I remember seeing Home Alone 2 in the theater and there was a parent dragging a screaming child out of the Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. What else have you seen, Phil? Um, I finally got to watch Red Rocket, which is now nice. on Hoopla. Yeah, I rewatched that film. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, the funniest letterboxed review and most accurate, it's only one sentence review, that the Red Rocket is the movie that people think Licorice Pizza is. That's very true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if people were like getting all weirded out by Licorice Pizza, I'm like, just watch Red Rocket. That's, that's the true story, <laughs> or the realness of it all. And it's got a very appropriately skeevy uh, puddle of mud needle drop. Is it, which one is it? Is it, uh... Control. Is that the slow one? When you it's, take it's, 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 when you take it on away. Yeah, it's the, I yeah. like the way you smack, uh... Oh, I like yeah. the way you smack, yeah. fan my feet. Yeah, yeah, we're not gonna go no. through all the lyrics. No, 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 no. <laughs> um... I watched a very arty movie uh, on Criterion Channel called India Song. It was directed by uh, Marguerite Dura, okay. author slash filmmaker. She's best known for the novel The Lover, but she also wrote the screenplay for Hiroshima Mo Amour. Oh, shit. Yeah. I love that film. Yeah, it's a great movie. And mm-hmm. uh, India Song is very great. It stars uh, Delphine Seyrig. Yeah. It's a very slow movie. Not surprised. Yes. Cool. Well, lots of tableau. Anything else interesting, Phil? Uh, we Death by Video outing, the aforementioned yeah. Crimes of the Future. You can listen to that episode. Yep. I watched on Tubi the movie Scalpel. Ooh, how is that? I, I've, that, been, I've that's lingered a, that's on that. a fun one. I've lingered on that a couple times, but I haven't yeah. like, pulled the trigger. Yeah, I assumed it was, you know, like a medical horror movie. It is not. Great. <laughs> yeah. I always love that. I watched uh, the Curtis Harrington movie, The Killing Kind, with uh, John Savage, which is I highly recommend. Cool. And we watched Top Gun Maverick together. Yeah, we had two DBV Ghosts of the movies, uh, but we didn't do an episode on Top Gun Maverick because that's not our style. No. But, uh, <laughs> but I think we all enjoyed Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, we all enjoyed it. Yeah. Although I have been realizing the last couple days since we saw it, it that movie is all surface. There's yeah, like nothing underneath it whatsoever. Not at all. Yeah, and like the more I think about it, the end is just ridiculous. Where it's like we're gonna steal an old F fourteen and fly it off of an M and anything, and yeah, ten year old me would have been like, "This is the best movie ever." One hundred percent. Please show it to your twelve year olds so they grow up to make fantastic movies. Like it's, we all said it the best. Like it's a blockbuster. It yes. is a enjoyable popcorn movie, and it's, it's good. But it's, it's a blockbuster in the way that the blockbusters we grew up in were enjoyable. Yeah, well, I, I just kept couldn't get past, like, the cinematography in it was just really good. Like, people were lit in darkness. There was shadows. Um, he only used... It a, was visually coherent, which is shocking. Yeah, he only... The director only used a fog machine in one scene, though, which kind of pissed me off, because, like, yeah. if it's Tony Scott, every scene is a fog machine mm-hmm. scene. Uh, but it was, like, the first scene where he meets John Hamm. I'm like, oh, there's fog in the air. Like, indoors for no reason. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is great. Like, like the movie... To me, visually, it was just okay, but at least it was visually coherent and lit properly. Yeah, it just, I actually... I, it's a low bar, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it means a lot to me. Yeah, but it's like... And it's, it's very well edited as yeah. well, which is also something that's very rare. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in the end credits that one of the... You see additional editing by Chris LeBenzon, who was uh, one of Tony Scott's main editors. Nice. Well, that's yeah. good. That's good that those guys are still getting work and, yeah. and whatnot. There was a for Tony Scott dedication at the yes. end of the film as well. Yeah. Uh, anything else, Phil? Uh, that's it. Okay. Kit, what have you seen that, uh, since we last recorded that's interesting? Uh, I've seen a few things. Ooh, what have you seen? Um, I did, well, I did go back and watch the original Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, which I'd never actually seen. Oh. Oddly enough, it was just not, you know, my, my mom was always wary of American military propaganda, so she wouldn't have, that Good wouldn't have been a, been a key rental yeah. uh, one for us. And then by the time, you know... Like, I could have rented it myself. It just didn't seem interesting to me. I don't care yeah. about military stuff. Yeah. Or but, Kenny Loggins music. Or Kenny Loggins music. Or Berlin, I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's a fun, fun little movie. It's mm-hmm. a good Tony, uh, good sweaty Tony, Tony Scott, Scott movie. movie. Somebody, yeah. I was hearing somebody point out that uh, the difference between the new Top Gun and the old one is that uh, Tony Scott drenches everything in sweat. And it's a very wet mm-hmm. movie. Whereas this is a very dry movie, the new one. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. 
Um, I uh, watched another first watch that uh, I should have watched as a kid was Beavis and Butthead to America. Nice. Cool. Never, never seen it before. I still haven't seen it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I watched the, the trailer for Beavis and Butthead do the universe just came on and it looks pretty funny. I uh, I do yeah I do like um, like the artwork for this is is fantastic just because like Beavis and Butthead both are like these fifteen year olds with these weird long giant heads that are actually bigger than their own torsos and everybody mm-hmm. else in that universe has a normal sized head and yeah. looks relatively normal. You've seen the quote unquote real life Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, busts, it's right? disgusting. I think so, and it's just terrifying. It would just be <laughs> horrifying to look at. Yeah, These people have said that like Beavis looks like Conan O'Brien after a math binge. Some fun vocal cameos in that one too. Richard Linklater, Linklater is just like a um, random bus driver. Um, and then David Letterman plays uh, one of the Motley Crew roadies who are obviously uh beavis and butthead's dads i don't know which of the road stack of course robert stack as the uh the fbi agent who keeps on uh, giving everybody full body cavity searches well that's how you get to play cloris leachman as well cloris leachman and then and then uh, you've got uh the original uh hollywood power couple bruce uh, bruce willis and demi moore as the uh as the main kind of um I i don't know what you got they're not the villains but uh Antagonists, I guess so. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. That was the period when Bruce Willis still did fun stuff, and like we can't really diss Bruce Willis now because of his illness. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there definitely was a period where he did fun stuff, and then there definitely was a period where he had no fun. Uh, people have been like um, remembering his uh, his role in Moonrise Kingdom as like a high point of his career, and it's kind of forgotten. But uh, he is really yeah. good in Moonrise Kingdom. Oh yeah. Uh, I watched because I uh, for to watch Top Gun, I, I subscribed to the Paramount Plus uh, network for seven days, seven day free trial. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to waste that. So I did try to get in a bunch of Paramount films, including Jackass Forever, um, which I enjoyed. It's fun. OK, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's the all the old guys. And then they've got a bunch of uh, new ones, too, and including Jasper Dolphin from Odd Futures. But um, and Machine Gun Kelly. Machine Gun Kelly is in there, just uh, more of in a cameo role. He's not Why? part of a new cast. Yeah. Um. He his that his is kind of dumb. But he by does the get way, hit side, into a pool side, pretty hard. Side side note about Machine Gun Kelly. Stop trying to do pop punk. Your lifeless imitation does. N- you're not a. You're not a. You're not a fly on the back of Jawbreaker or. <laughs> Cheshire Cat era Blink-182 or MXPX. Like, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that Hard Times article, uh, Machine Gun Kelly's breaking the pop-punk mold by dating somebody age-appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. I mean, it is, like... But it was all those, like, pop-punk guys from, like, the early 2000s that's like, oh, this is the dude from Good Charlotte and his 15-year-old girlfriend. You're like, whoa! <laughs> whoa! You're older than me! Wow. The yeah. 15-year-old girlfriend being Hillary Duff. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's de- really weird and bad. Dedicated death by video listener, Machine Gun Kelly, just turning the uh, <laughs> turning the podcast off in tears at the moment. Throws his iPhone into the ocean. <laughs> what um, else, Kit? And then on this on this tip, I also watched uh, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, which is yeah. the fourth. That's uh, the Mission one Impossible. with uh, with Superman, right? Henry Carville. No, no, no. I think Cavill? that's a later one. Oh, this really? one has uh, introduces the Jeremy Renner character, who, who at the time I think fans yeah. thought, oh, he's going to be taking yeah. over the Mission Impossible no, franchise. No, 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 no. Tom Cruise doesn't. He no. doesn't do that. Tom Cruise does not give away a franchise. Poor, and by the way, poor and Jer- also they tried to give Jeremy Renner like five different franchises. Like remember, he was the newborn. Yeah. Um, for a while, and it just mm-hmm. didn't take the uh, movie going public is just rejecting uh, Jeremy Renner, but, s- movie star. But I have to say. Give him an original thing. Don't just try and be like, okay, Matt Damon doesn't want to do board movies anymore. Let's get Renner in here. Okay, Tom Cruise is getting old. Maybe let's try and squeeze him into Mission Impossible. Like, no, like give him something original. He actually, the uh, the Hawkeye uh, series on Disney+, Plus. he was really good in that. Uh, and that series was really good. Um, I know it's hard to say that about a Disney Marvel thing, but it was enjoyable. I shouldn't say it's really good. It's just, it's very enjoyable. It was set in New York in that Christmas, Christmas time, yeah. And it like it felt like an old New York Christmas movie where like the nights are really dark, they're not overly lit. Well, then they should have just made it a movie. I know. Why does everything have to be a ten part episode? Because Disney Plus has got to <laughs> beat Netflix. <laughs> Renner had a good run for like a brief, but like right after Hurt Locker, he got a lot of attention for the town and 
Oh yeah, he was great in the town. Oh, my favorite line is when he hits that guy in the leg with his uh, with a baseball bat and goes, uh, "They goes college soccer." Um, <laughs> it's come a long way since National Lampoon Senior Trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that one. Um, and also, uh, I didn't remember this about uh, Ghost Protocol, but uh, young Leia Sedu makes her American yep. debut in that one. She's in her mid thirties. <laughs> I, I know. Well, she's younger here. I guess that was twenty eleven yeah. when that came out. Yeah. So she would have been. Uh, but early she 20s. now she appeared she gets in. Kicked uh, out of a damn window. She was in Inglorious Bastards a couple years before that. Oh, was she? Yeah, she's one of the daughters in the opening scene. Ah, oh, I didn't yeah. know yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, watched uh, watched Top Gun Maverick with y'all. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just uh, like obviously military propaganda also quite earnestly tom cruise propaganda yeah yeah which Just i gotta like, say this guy is essential for movies and it makes a good case i know i kind of I, <laughs> I, I don't disagree like i kind of want I, I but i want tom cruise to like do stuff other than the endless mission impossible movies but uh just just a few words on that like it's it's really like uh a well-oiled blockbuster uh, i think yeah. we'd all agree like mm-hmm. it really just executes all the kind of tropes of uh, and cliches of blockbusters but does it really well mm-hmm. um and also the jet fighting is really well executed and shot like you can tell what's going on i think yeah. they actually mounted imax cameras onto actual uh fighter jets and yeah. had the actors in them mm-hmm. which blows all these green screen uh blockbusters out of the water oh, yeah I, I totally forgot what i was gonna say but oh, oh <laughs> sorry <Fair enough. laughs> kit, uh, it was like motioning towards kit's the microphone for like the last like two minutes and kit was just looking at his phone and i was constantly like waving my hands like trying to get him over but yeah and uh, yeah, and uh, some, somebody else pointed out that Tom Cruise, at this point of his career, uh, as the greatest movie star ever to live, kind of in, in this mode, it seems like he is trying to die making a movie like yeah. that. He's yeah. like, a, he's oh, like yeah. an ancient Roman soldier who wants to die in mm-hmm. battle. So he just keeps on doing more insane practical stunts with with every movie that he does like edge of tomorrow irl yeah exactly yeah, yeah. he just he wants to die making a movie and someday we'll hear like oh mission impossible 8 uh, <laughs> tom cruise fell off the uh the the space station or whatever yeah well, i mean I that's also i'm like smashing his ankle like jumping a building and yeah um uh, to me tom cruise like made his big comeback when he released that uh, psa for how to turn off motion smoothing on your tvs after that, I'm like, dude, I'm sold on you. Like, <laughs> the couch jumping thing I've forgotten about. Weird sci- a Scientology thing, like, whatever you, and, whatever you and Zeno want to do behind closed doors is fine. Katie Holmes having to escape in the dead of night with her child. No, that doesn't, that's not excused. Um, <laughs> but um, the and then motion fin- smoothing the, did, that, that went a long way. Finally, yeah. last night, just randomly, uh, I decided to watch Neil Mar- Marshall's uh, Centurion. Ooh, because uh, I've been kind of into uh, Roman history lately, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, this will be fun. Yeah, uh, it was okay. Yeah, it wasn't it, great actually. AKA Game of Thrones zero point one. Yeah, it's just not. It's, it, it does have uh, Liam Cunningham from from Game of Thrones in it. Well, that's um, the that movie is what uh, convinced the the HBO to hire Neil Marshall to direct most of the Game of Thrones episodes. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and it's got uh, you know Michael Fassbender. It's mm-hmm. got Olga Kurylenko. And I was like, oh, this should be a good time. And it was just yeah. okay. It wasn't See, that great. Uh, he, his far superior film, Doomsday, came up before it, which unfortunately was overshadowed by the London uh, terrorist bombings because uh, it was released on the day of the bombings. And yeah, Doomsday, of, I remember being good. Yeah, it's very Which fun. is why that's why I was uh, into yeah. watching this one. Uh, that has Kate Beckinsale in it, no? No, no. it has uh, her replacement in the Underworld movies. Yeah. I can't. Uh, I can't. Mad Max type movie? Mad yes. Max and post apocalyptic and. Uh, not sword and sandal, like a, a yeah, it a is knights, kind of like yeah, it is kind of like a knights thing. Yeah, yeah, like King Arthur. There's like a whole bunch of stuff going on, and it's set in Scotland. And and all yeah. the violence in Centurion is is good and brutal, and like you see people getting their heads chopped in half and stuff. But it all seems very fake at the same time. Like I don't I don't yeah. even know how to express it. I well, just I, th- I think was that, not that entertained. I think that was supposed to be Neil Marshall's like make good after uh, Dooms. They didn't do so well. Was like okay, I'll do a lower budgeted action heavy movie that people will like and then it just kind of came it wasn't it's not good none of the characters are interesting Uh, fatal flaw right there neil yeah the characters have to be interesting Mm -hmm. michael fassbender's character is is useless he promised spoiler alert (laughs) but he promises dominic west who's dying on a pole and dominic west is like get the men home just get them home and he's like i will he gets none of them home (laughs) they all die (laughs) he makes it himself (laughs) i see uh, Kit was just peeking like crazy on the on the old levels here. Um, anyway, that's, anyway, that's it for me. That's what you've seen. Okay, I'll run through mine very quickly. Um, after watching Crimes of the Future, I watched the Canadian classic Skip Tracer, 
I, I am a fan of Skip Tracer. Yeah, it's great. I gotta say, the new Blu-ray is great, except uh, the sound mix uh, by from Golden Ninja Video sucked. Like, the audio is all over the place. Um, do better. Uh, then I watched uh, Todd Haynes' Velvet Underground documentary from last year. Did not uh, think it was good. Um, and then I, watched, I strongly disagree. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like... It's, it's boring and bad. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, then I watched the Beastie Boys story, like which is another documentary on on apple tv uh, the spike I, jones one yeah i liked it i liked it a lot it was fun yeah i was a little disappointed in the format like it's just them on mm-hmm. stage i would have preferred more like a ken burns yeah. style documentary see, i think see i knew that going into it and i think that that made it better for me ah. mm-hmm. uh then i watched strike commando 2 uh from bruno Mattei, which was so fun it's like i'm always where after our our forever lost episode on zombies the beginning I'm very, very afraid of watching Bruno Mattei movies, or Mattei, whatever you want to pronounce it. Uh, but Strike Commando 2 was super fun. It starts off as a Rambo movie, then becomes Raiders of the Lost Ark. Then there's like five minutes of Predator thrown in, and then it's back to Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then it ends. So, fun movie. And then, of course, I watched Top Gun Maverick. We've already talked about it to death. So, without any further ado, it's time for American Nightmare. If you're looking for more horror outside of the mainstream, look no further than Unsung Horrors, a podcast about underseen horror movies. I'm Lance. And I'm Erica. Every other week, we'll cover a horror movie with fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. We'll even give you double feature recommendations to pair with the movies we discuss. From gothic to shot on video, from slashers to comedies, from giallo to J-horror, we'll cover all the subgenres. So join us as we unearth these hidden gems of horror. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Unsung Horrors, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. And that was American Nightmare. All right, guys. So uh, this one was written by John Shepard, who is in no relation to me and was inspired by the rising crime rates in North American cities. Are we sure there's no relation? Uh, pretty sure. You know what? I should look into it, but pretty sure. Um, particularly the murder of Emmanuel Jacques, the, sunshine, the shoeshine boy in Toronto in 1977. It was shot on a a shoestring budget, sorry, I didn't mean that pun, a shoestring budget of $200,000 Canadian dollars in 1981 in Toronto. Uh, It had a small theatrical release in Canada in 1983 before it received a home video release in North America in 1984. What's what's the story of the Shoeshine Boy murder? You're not familiar with it? No. Uh, It's said uh, to be when Toronto lost its innocence. So... (laughs) It's not funny. Uh, well, no, it's just yeah. like I'm sure Toronto lost its innocence yeah. but, I mean, decades prior. The, I mean. the, the Young Street strip in the 70s and the 80s was known for being sleazy and dangerous. And like we saw a lot of it in this film, which definitely looked sleazy, but it also looked fun. It looked, I think... Lots of flashing lights. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I think if you look back at any of those times, like it's probably a lot safer than people think it is because I still remember when I first moved to Toronto, I was told, don't walk along Young Street. Because that girl got shot on Boxing Day there, like in 2004 or something. And I was like, well, that's just one thing. Anyways, it's, it's, uh, but basically the, the Zhushan boy, uh, was, I think he was like 12 or 11. And he was kidnapped by two men who assaulted him and killed him and left his body on the roof of a building on Young Street. God damn. Yeah. And it prompted like the big wave of let's clean up Young Street, even though it still took about a decade to truly take effect. Yeah, I do remember like uh, in early early aughts, mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't go on certain parts of Young Street past like six p.m. kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, like, and there still was a bit of that scuzz left there. Like, there was definitely like we saw a lot of Cinema Two Thousand, the infamous uh, pornographic video theater, where well, they famously showed movie uh, porno on videotape, not film, to get around the Ontario censorship laws. The the two big strip clubs are still there, Zanzibar and uh, the Brass Rail. Yeah, but they're they're not long for this world. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. So, I mean, Toronto is lo- losing its skeeziness, unfortunately. R.I.P. Metro Theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still never had the, the the guts to go in there when it was open. That was the last surviving pornographic theater in Toronto, which really I think it was actually the only theater. That's that a wall climbing place. Yeah, rock climbing. Well, rock yeah. climbing, yeah. Way, way more detrimental to the society, to be honest. <laughs> Those rock climbing places, they're taking over every old cinema because they had the high ceilings. They took over the old Toronto Underground, which is... God damn. Yeah, yeah, terrible. Awful, 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 moral degenerate scum yeah, rock everything's, climbing. Everything's either turning into a rock climbing place or a Rexall pharmacy. Or a weed shop. Yes, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All right, guys. So, American Nightmare opens up with 
Uh, a Speaking of, of weed, yeah. yeah. Uh, Opens up with a shot of Alexandra Paul playing Louise. Is it Louise is her name, right? No. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, she plays Isabel. Isabel Blake, a.k.a. Tanya. Tanya, yeah, Kelly. And uh, so it's interesting because this is actually the on-screen debut of Alexandra Paul. Let me bring up my notes on her right now. Um, so she was actually dating the lead actor Lawrence Day, who plays Eric in the film at the time. Her of filming. brother. Her I know skeezy. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it anticipates Matthew Broderick and Jennifer Grey. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, so it's her debut. Um, she would go on to star in John Carpenter's Christine, Eight Million Ways to Die, Dragnet '87, which starred uh, Tom Hanks and Dan, Dan Aykroyd. But she's probably best known for her role as lifeguard Stephanie Holden in 92 episodes of Baywatch which she followed up with eight episodes of Melrose Place. Uh, she's still working to this day, but she has decided only to appear in independent films, which is kind of interesting. Uh, her most recent film being uh, the film Tethered from 2022. Uh, and she also appeared in uh, 2016's Sharknado 4, The Fourth Awakens. A great independent film. Yeah. So she is uh, smoking some grass, and she is clearly a, uh, a prostitute of some sort there's, a lady of the night yeah there's a bottle of jack on the table but mm. also a stack of bills and yeah the first thing she does she grabs a joint she lights it up she's in the all together yeah laying in bed languishing in bed yeah she also knocks over a one inch va uh, videotape vhs tape uh sorry it wasn't vhs it was one inch video but it wasn't vhs it was a different format um and we kind of hear little bits of the story we she, ta she talks about someone named fixer uh, videotaping clients and she's like I'm sorry I didn't know blah 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 and there's some there's a man washing his hands and getting ready in the bathroom assuming that um, he's gonna come in and uh, complete his transaction with her who's got his uh, towel wrapped around his waist really tight he's, he's yeah. done that well mm hmm he's not nothing slipping out um, and so he puts on a pair of disposable uh, surgical gloves which is he, never a good sign no and he comes out so we should also point out this is the only of the air like true Canadian Jalo film uh, because you don't know who the killer is. There's some red herrings. Um, a the lot of sleaze. A lot of sleaze. Uh, and basically, a it follows the the uh, giallo tropes of a, a civilian getting involved in investigating a murder. Even though our main character of Eric doesn't know that his sister is murdered until... I don't think he, uh, he yeah, even... He doesn't even find out. He doesn't out. even find yeah. out during the movie. Like, we find out. Well, we know because we see it in the opening scene. Basically, the man comes in. Uh, and has a razor blade hidden in his towel, which he then pulls out. And he gets on top of her first. She's all excited. She's like, "Oh, do me, daddy," and all this stuff. Yeah. And then yeah, he takes and then it he out of the slits uh, her throat. Yeah. Kills her violently, and that kicks off American Nightmare. Um. So then, basically, we're introduced to Eric, who is a piano player who comes into the city to investigate his sister going missing. Um, he's, he's not only a piano player, uh, mm -hmm. some magazines are heralding him as the next Glenn Gould. Yeah. yeah. Funny enough, this magazine is featured in the, the aforementioned Cinema 2000 uh, bookstore section. Oh, yeah. You know what? Sometimes people need something else to read. Yeah. yeah. Um, you got to have that respectable magazine so you can mm -hmm. slip your uh, skeevy magazine inside of it. Exactly. That's how you get around it. Um, and so... Basically, this is when we, the first time we get a look at the apartment building, which is you enter through what looks like the parking of the loading garage of an industrial building. Yeah, it looks like a loading dock. And they go in and it's this like very slummy apartment, but both very spacious apartments and very nice looking apartments. Like, I mean, the weird thing is like it's supposed to be like, hey, this is a slum in the inner city. However, compared to Toronto apartments now... It looks awesome. I mean, the stairwells, the hallways, they look skeevy and rat infested. But once you get inside the apartment building, uh, the yeah. apartment itself, it's rather nice. Nice and spacious. Yeah. yeah, it was probably the apartments were probably not shot at the actual location. It does have uh, interesting graffiti yeah. like mm -hmm. uh, the, the vile tones suck. Yep. And then in parenthesis underneath each other. Yeah. So the vile tones, <laughs> uh, local Toronto punk band getting some, I think, non-intentional graffiti. That was probably just on the wall. Um. And so this is where we actually first meet Dolly, who is uh, a gay character in a film, and he's... And a drag. And yeah, yeah, kind of, well, he dresses in drag, he's a cross-dresser, so I'm not sure if Dolly is supposed to be, uh, I mean, transgender really wasn't a thing at the yeah, time. Yeah, in the vocabulary of, of the time, it would be a... a transvestite, I guess. Transvestite, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I should say, point out that Dolly's portrayal is actually, I don't want to say, kind of, well, I, I don't want to use the term progressive, but not 
offensive, I would put it. It's it's interesting because uh, Eric, to begin with, I mean, he's he's obviously yeah. he comes from a rich family, very conservative, very conservative. Yeah. So I mean, he meets Dolly. He's looking for his sister. Yeah. A uh, Dolly says, "Oh, I don't I don't know anybody by that name. There's a Tanya living here." Yeah. Blah blah blah. And then we mm-hmm. we figure out that well, he shows was, Eric shows him the photo of him yeah, and his yeah, sister. Yeah, and he's yeah, like, "Oh, oh I know Tanya. that's Tanya." Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he goes, I think he, he goes to the cops or he goes to somebody and he's like, she's living in a slum surrounded by degenerates. Well, he, he, he goes Which, to his father who he hasn't yeah, seen in two years that's and right. his father hasn't seen his sister in one year. And, and allegedly. The, and he says she's, she's living in a slum surrounded by degenerates. Yeah. And, but I think his attitude towards this whole scene changes. Yeah. And, uh, the, the term degenerates actually gets echoed by the killer later mm-hmm. on in the movie. So we, we find out that. There's a lot of layers in this script. Yeah, because, there's some yeah. layers, yeah. Because it gets reflected back on him later on. Because, like, he, he comes to know the people in this community and and gets to know Dolly as well and yeah. realizes that they are not degenerates. They are just people trying to make their way in this world. Um, he never quite approves of the stripping. And no. he certainly does not approve of the, uh, the prostitution. Yeah, but. so we should get into that. So basically, like, uh, his sister was roommates with, uh, with Laura... Uh, oh, sorry, Louise. Louise, Played yes. by Laura Staley, who I, I wish I had more info on Laura Staley. She did this film. She did a bunch of TV. And then her last, I think her last on-screen credit was the 1996 television adaptation of Dangerous Minds. And that was it. That's That's been it for her for, for 20, 25-ish years. 26 I forgot years. about that TV adaptation. 27 years. Jeez. Yeah, so... She's a Mephel... Mephel... Mephel Pfeiffer? <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't believe she was the Michelle Pfeiffer role. Um, no, I mean, she was, in a, she, she was also in uh, Michael Mann's Thief before this. Same year, ah. actually. Same year. Uh, she was, oh, she was in uh, the 1987 comedy Summer School, which I quite like. She was in Risky Business as a Call Girl uh, in 1983. Um, so she, she had some stuff. Um, but uh, And she was in L.A. Law for a few episodes um and Matlock so like she she had she had a career in and outside but I think this is probably like her biggest most prominent role um but we haven't even met her yet so we find out that uh Tanya aka Isabel has been stripping at the strip club and she's also been working as a prostitute even though we should point out that none of the other girls at the strip club that we know of are working as prostitutes yeah I think Dolly directs Eric to the strip club which is club 2000 club 2000 yeah, yeah. And uh, which is compared to contemporary strip clubs, it's a, it's a much more performance oriented. It's not like a bunch of women walking around poles slowly waiting for lap dances. No, it's a stage it's, that's roped off. Yeah, sort of. it's a, there's an actual performance. They have characters. Uh, like when we when Louise does her actual dance, uh, she's um, she's doing like a Victor Victoria kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and there's another dancer uh, named the uh, burlesque tradition. Yeah. Tina does a whole like devil with a pitchfork type thing. Yep. Tina played by Lenore Zan, who let's actually well let's 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 get there. How do we get there? Um so he doesn't he meets sorry, um Eric, yeah, goes to his father, says, You don't understand how your sister's been living my our sister my sister, your daughter's been living, blah blah blah. Um and this is where we meet uh their father. Who's a media mogul. Yeah, he he is the head of the Unisave uh foundation, which is like a big um uh, charity type deal. They're getting ready for a big telethon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and they're all wearing buttons. Yeah, that says Unisave on it. Uh, he is played by. We don't play have... on Unicef. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We also also point out Dolly is played by Lori, uh, Larry Aubrey, uh, who was also in The Vindicator, another classic Canadian, uh, in like craziness. And his last appearance was in Kung Fu The Legend Continues he also had uh, an episode was in an episode of Maniac Mansion um, oh yes and a bunch of like 80s Canadian TV stuff including the Edison Twins oh god yeah. oh the Edison Twins I can still hear that theme song god is his father his father isn't the, the actor who played his father is not listed which is interesting somebody's yelling outside my apartment um, <laughs> but no so anyways he goes there and this is also where we meet Tony, who is played by Neil uh, Daynard, who is Hamilton's right-hand man. Hamilton is the name of him. Hamilton Blake. Yes, Hamilton Blake. Yeah, yeah that's, that's their father, who is this. Oh, who is played by Tom Harvey. Sorry, I just found it right now. He had a long career as well. He has 99 film credits. His last being uh, Sarah Polly's Away From Her in 2006. Huh. Yeah. 
Um, but he was a Canadian staple during the era. Like, if you go back to, like, the 80s, he was in, like, every TV show, every... This works. So he's, a, he's a classic uh, big glasses guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Eric goes back to his sister's apartment, and this is where he meets Louise, played by Laura Staley, and he explains, like, I'm, you know, I'm legitimately Tanya's brother. Here's a photo of us, and she invites him in. This is yeah, when... she says, oh, that that's a line I've never heard before, but yeah. he really is. Mm-hmm. We, well, we actually go to the strip club where uh, the owner of the strip club is complaining to Tina that Tanya isn't in, and she needs to cover his shift, and this is where we also meet Tanya's boyfriend, Mark, who's played by Paige Fletcher, who will go on to star as RoboCop in RoboCop Prime Directive's miniseries, in the arts. We also meet uh, Louise's other roommate, mm-hmm. uh, Andrea, who's busy dancing on stage. We should also point out this yeah. is a uh, Christmas movie. Yeah, there is a Christmas tree. <laughs> There's a very sad looking Christmas tree yeah. on stage at the uh, strip club yep. at all times. And also, uh, I guess you say this movie is set in New York. It's called uh, American, American Nightmare. Night, but it's very clearly Toronto. My God, it's the most Canadian strip club audience ever. <laughs> Just a bunch I, of hosers. <laughs> a bunch of Bob and Doug McKenzie <laughs> wannabes. I actually think... This film was probably... Anyone one Italian plumber. Yeah, yeah, there's a Mario in there. Uh, I actually think, by the way, we should point out that Andrea is played by Claudia Udi, who also appeared in Savage Dawn. But yeah, so we were introduced to to these characters, and it kind of sets up that, that Mark, Tina's boyfriend, doesn't want her dancing anymore, wants her to leave. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is Tina's way to earn money and be independent, so she chooses to stay. Um and so we meet, so basically back at uh, Louise and, and Andrew's apartment, which was also Tanya's apartment, a.k.a. Isabel. That's where uh, Eric gets to meet them for the first time. Oh, we also see the uh, mm-hmm. the uh, dressing room at the strip club, which just has a bunch of like... Fun graffiti? Well, like just like Pink Floyd scrawled over the wall and... Um, Kilroy was here. Kilroy was here, yeah. It's got, I think, Roxy Music kind of just... Mm-hmm. Just people putting the bands that they like. A just poster for them on Pumping them. Iron. Yes, and which a poster it, for a movie called... Slovenly? Slovenly? Yeah, which looks to be a softcore pornographic film. Yeah, we should also point out, this is Pumping Iron. This is before Terminator, so it's before Arnold really yeah, broke out. Yeah, this is Mr. Universe era. Yeah, because the film was shot in 1981, so it's very rare that we actually see like a, a Schwarzenegger shout-out in it. A bit like Conan the Barbarian era? That was like just like a year after that. Yeah, early, early times. So we're introduced to them. Um, at first, Louise and Eric don't get along, but of course, eventually, they become star-crossed lovers. Um, and this is where we we start to to. There's a whole lot of back and forth, a whole lot of red herrings, but basically, a bunch of killings start. So, well, Andrea, Andrea nice. gets it, and yeah. again, she's smoking weed, which apparently yeah. you cannot do because mm-hmm. you become susceptible to yeah. murder. We should point out that Eric goes to the police to yes, file a report. old Michael Ironside, or Detective he, Skyler. Yeah, or Mike as he's Ironside. credited, yes, in this film he's credited as Mike Ironside. This is back during his young, like, ruffian days, yes. even though he always looks 46. His, his teen heartthrob days, he was known as Mikey Ironside. Yeah, well, yeah. He, had most of his, yeah, he had most of his hair at this time. Yeah. So, he still looks grizzled. Mm-hmm. And so he, real, like, basically him and his partner decide to, like, go into this case and try and, like, find out what's going on. Uh, partially also because, you know, it is the daughter of a well-known uh, media personality. Yeah, because I was thinking, like, because Michael Ironside, uh, Mike Ironside, sorry, he really goes uh, he really goes hard on this investigation. He's knocking on doors and stuff. And I'm like, would the police really react this way to a missing uh, missing stripper? But then, yeah, he's a, it's a mm-hmm. Hamilton Burke's or Blake's daughter, so I guess. Yeah, exactly. Person so, of interest. Yeah. Um, and so he actually goes, so the killer's inside Andrea and, and, uh, Louise's apartment and he actually, uh, Michael Ironside knocks on the door and Andrea is just smoking a joint and she's, she's like, getting ready for a bath. Yeah. So she's a little freaked out that, that there's a cop at the door and he's like, no, no, I'm, it's not a bust. I'm just looking to try and find Tanya Kelly, AKA Isabel Blake. Uh, and she's like, oh, I haven't seen her. Like, go check out, talk to my friend at club 2000. And he's like, okay. And he leaves. And then Andrea gets killed. Yeah, the walls in that apartment building mm-hmm. must be pretty thick because it's not like it's like a minute after he uh, he yeah. walks away from the door and she's like screaming, help. Yeah. She gets drowned. Drowned. And he and slashes then, her wrist to stage a suicide. Yes. Yep. And so after this, uh, Michael Ironside. Which is funny that he decided to do it that way because he wasn't. I guess he's been hiding the bodies otherwise. Yeah, because we they don't find Isabel's body until the end of the film. And yeah. we don't even find it. We don't even see it or know it. Um, where do we go from there, guys? Which is weirdly sloppy because, you know, he's strangling her. So you'd think that there would be bruises on the neck. Well, he's not so much strangling her as he's pushing her under the water. So the assumption would be... But then, you know, someone didn't... I think it's just to throw people off because at first you're like, oh, it's clearly a suicide. But if 
somebody has bled out, then they wouldn't have like water in their lungs. It's also uh, revealed later in just a piece of dialogue that uh, Detective Skyler, Mike Ironside, mm-hmm. never believes this suicide angle whatsoever. Yeah. So Louise and Eric, they, they basically start to team up uh, once uh, Louise, you know, uh, her her roommate gets killed. Well, suicide slash gets well, yeah, killed. Because uh, old Mike, he goes to the strip club and he's there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I think he gets... He, doesn't he get gets a, the phone call. He gets a phone call, yeah, which is interesting. Like, he doesn't have a cell phone or a pager, yeah. but somebody reaches him there. Well, that's the thing. I think uh, back then you, the police used to tell, like, okay, I'm going to this place. They would call in in case they need to get, someone needed to get a hold of them. And he gets the news that Andrea has yeah. been found mm-hmm. uh, by apparent suicide. So he tells Louise, hey, uh, if you got a second, got to tell you something. Yeah, so they go... Or no, he says, like, why don't you come with me to the station? I have to tell you something serious. And she says, uh, what is it, after my set? No. No, no, that, that's, that's later. later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so he goes to the station, they find out, and this is when she and uh, Eric really start to team up. And this is when it's like, okay, well, who was, like, who was Lu- uh, Louis- Isabel, like, be a prostitute for? I don't know why I'm stuttering so much. Because well, they, they have a falling out, and I can't remember why. I think it's all Eric. He's being a bit of a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, he, yeah, he's repeatedly a dick, and then he shows up to the funeral. He shows up at uh, and Andrew's funeral. And he's still a dick. He's still a complete dick. Uh, he's like, I came here to apologize, mm-hmm. but oh, you guys are degenerates. It's it's after he saves her. That's when they start because like she goes back. So Louise goes back to the apartment. Yes. But the killer is there and she knows he's there. So she like runs away. There's a, a great scene where they're like hiding out in the bowels of this apartment building with a bunch of old TV sets stacked up and she hides behind them. And we see the killers like surgical gloves, like poking through, looking around. And so she runs away and then runs into the arms of Eric. She and this kicks is when, over like three television sets yeah. on top of the killer and then runs. Yeah. And so this is when Eric and her finally start to get along. When yeah, he meets up with her. He's yeah. there to like see her or something. He wants It's to his have. second time attempting to apologize because the yeah. first time was at the, the funeral, which he was still a dick. He's and like, then, I'll give you a ride. We can yeah. talk. And, yeah. Then, yeah, and now he's like, no, seriously, I am sorry. I'm all that, and I need you to help me find my sister. Um, and this is where we learned out about Fixer, who is Isabel's pimp. Uh, who was played by Michael Copeman. Who spends all his time at the porno theater. Yes, the Cinema 2000. Uh, Michael Copeman's still acting to this day. He actually has uh, a movie movie coming out next year. Uh, still does a lot of TV. None of it very good. Um, he was even in the Minority Report TV series, which everyone forgot about from six or seven years ago. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah, I'm just learning yeah. of this now. I know. So many things you learn on Death by Video. Um, and so this is when... So she goes to see Fixer to get some information and buy some pills. And then she talks to uh, Eric about it. And then she starts doing... Like, she takes a pill. And he's like, do you really need to do that stuff? And she's like, well, my life is kind of, like, in a mess right now. Both One of my roommates is missing. The other one's dead. And there's a killer after me. So, yes, I will take a pill to calm down. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. So they go back to... Uh, his Do- hotel yeah his hotel no it's not yet it's after the it's after they go to the strip club and after they talk to dolly because dolly's getting out of town oh yeah that's right yeah uh and dolly's like yeah i'm gonna go back get my things and then get out of here and she's like okay like call me when you get there um and and at, at this point i said to you guys dolly is not long for this world no yeah, so sure enough that they're done yeah <laughs> strong telegraphing here yeah which is that there was another scene where she and Dolly like had a cup of coffee or a cup of tea in Dolly's apartment, which was very sweet and very nice. Uh, so yeah, so Dolly goes home, gets attacked, and is unfortunately killed by the by the killer. By the beret beret wearing purple jacket or kind of a dark yeah. blue jacket killer. We call him the beret killer because um, <laughs> he was wearing a beret during the entire thing. Um, where do we go from there, guys? Well, Dolly uh, makes it up the stairs and uh, Inter- is, yeah, encounters our beret killer. Yes, and yeah. is knifed through the guts. Yeah, dies pretty horribly. And, so and then is dies. dragged into a corner and I think mm-hmm. some trash is thrown on Dolly and then that's yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, where our two, uh, our two heroes are at, I'm not sure. Yeah. Because they do go back to his place. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, his apart- is- his, not his apartment, his hotel. Right. She's too scared to go home, understandably. Yeah, yeah. But this is before they sleep together. 
because she has to go to work. So before, even before this, this is when he remember when they get they're they're driving somewhere and they get confronted by a knife wielding like a mugger. That's right. Yes, and, and then you see the side of Eric yeah. that you've never seen before. Yes, he gets the eye of the tiger, so to speak, and uh, like fights off the knife wielding like mugger and cuts off his ear. Well, yeah, he gets a hold of the dude's wrist. He drops the knife mm-hmm. and gets a hold of the knife. Actually, I think this was after they... So they go to the strip club uh, and basically says... They say goodbye to Dolly. They talk to Tina and they talk to to Mark, Tina's boyfriend. Um, we should also point out that the police are starting to put together that Mark is a person of interest because he is connected to all the victims. Yes, they've got photos mm-hmm. with him and all the victims. Yeah. So therefore, he's, he's our red herring boy. We know that it's not him because he doesn't have like the salt and pepper hair that our killer does. Yeah. And he's a little too like, I don't want you dancing here anymore. Go drive a truck. You could see that as a motive. Like he's killing the strippers and stuff like he's trying yeah. to scare her away. But but nah, but nah, it's not happening. So then. So then, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to get my timeline straight here. So then I, I think they go back to the hotel and she they, also has the audition. Which is the next day. Next day, but that's that's that's, the, that's, that's, that's after the that's, hotel. That's post love scene. Yeah, because um, they do. Uh, he, she's she's mm-hmm. swooned enough. She's convinced that he's yeah. a protector. No, no, we're not there yet. So so they go to the club. That's where they talk to Tina. They talk to Mark. Uh, Louise does her dance routine, which makes Eric very uncomfortable. He's just sour the entire time. Yeah, he's, he's she, frowning. She tends to put full gusto into it. Then there's the scene with the the mugger, and then they go back to they go back to his place. And, uh, and, or sorry, his hotel. And this is when the, like, she's afraid to go home. And this is when the lovemaking occurs. A very, very long, awkward love scene. Um, and then the next morning, he gets up to go do something. She goes to the audition. He comes back. And then the audition goes, it's very skeevy. It's one yes. of those, like, okay, you want this, you want to. It's a casting couch style situation. Uh, yeah. If you got to see your legs, take off your skirt. Yeah. Then take off your blouse. <laughs> yeah. If we cast you, you got to wear a bra. Um, very skeevy. So she comes back. They, re- they regroup at the hotel room and they kind of like talk things over. And he has decided, okay, we got to go. To, I got to go talk to Fixer. No, because he finds out about the videotapes. Remember, because he goes off to the motel where his. Because they went to the answering service. They bribe the answering service person. Yeah, they, 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 who's very easy to bribe. As soon yeah. as money is uh, thrown her way, all she's, her says integrity whatever. goes out the window. Exactly. So they go to the answering service. The answer- <laughs> she calls, she's like... Yeah, she's not one for diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, oh, you want to see your sister's messages? Well, she didn't have very many messages. Yeah. <laughs> Total like, loser. A loser. Your dead <laughs> sister. Um, so they so they get the... the she, she had a meeting at this motel... Uh, he goes off to the motel by himself, roughs up the motel manager. Yeah, man, this is, this, he's all, all of a sudden he's a hard boiled detective. Yeah, he's he, slapping this guy around. He went from wearing fancy suits with like those like silk scarves, and playing piano, to now and playing piano. To now he's like he's wearing gonna a, ruin his piano hands. Yeah, but now he's wearing a members only jacket and he's kicking ass. Yeah. Um, so he goes, he roughs up the hotel manager who tells him, "Yes, there are videotapes, but I, I, I don't have them. Who does have them? I don't know. Was it Fixer?" And it's like, "Yes, it's Fixer." And so now they go to confront Fixer at the uh, Cinema 2000. Yeah, Louise warns him. She's like, I'm not going to go in there. But yeah. just be warned, he has a gun. Yeah. And so old Eric here, like, you know, fancy pants pianist, goes in, sees Fixer asleep in a row at the porn theater, sits behind him, reaches seizes a, his gun, seizes, like, reaches around, puts his head in a chokehold, reaches into his jacket, pulls out Fixer's gun, points the gun at Fixer's head, and it's like, you're going to tell me where those tapes are or else I'm going to blow your brains out. And it's just like, where did this come from? Where did this come from? I have no idea. Um, so, uh, what happens next? He gets the tapes. Oh, right, he gets the tapes, and then he goes... They're in and, a backpack in a locker. Right, right, right. At the Greyhound bus terminal. Mm-hmm. And, Presumably. Yeah, so he goes there. Based on location. Louise suggesting. goes back to the club to get her things to say, like, I'm out of here because she got the job uh, being a presenter on this Unisafe telethon, which his father is throwing. So, a lot of things coming together. Uh, and then... Eric sees the tape, figures out... Well, he's, he's, he's busy. He's like, ah, I'm watching these stupid tapes. And he's just kind of sitting at the studio because we yeah, see the gold his, records. Yeah, at his music studio. And he's studio. just watching them and he falls asleep. And then he wakes up and he sees, oh, that's my sister. Yeah, and this and is then the... he sees a male come and disrobe and we can see the male's ass. Poor choice of words there, Kit. You said that we see a male come and then you uh, pause. Ah, come on now. No. So yes, he sees a male enter the frame. Enter the frame, We yes, see his sorry. buttocks. 
And he's like, I know that ass. <laughs> he knows um, that ass well. And so he goes to confront his father and he puts on the, the, by the way, we should point out like, thank God his father is a media mogul because he actually has a one inch videotape player in his office. And his father's like, well, what are you doing showing me this? I don't need to see this. But I was like, no, you do. And so he puts on the tape and he's like, that's you, isn't it? It's like, you're, yikes. You're doing your own daughter. Things got real gross. This is a very skeevy movie. And he takes the tape and is like, I'm getting out of here. His dad is uh, mm-hmm. meekly doing like, well, you don't understand. I, I loved your mother and she was all I had. Yeah. <laughs> gross. Um, and so he leaves. Uh, he takes the tape with him and says like, this will do all the talking I need to do. Uh, and, and then, then there's only one step forward for the father at yeah. this point, which he, is a gunshot to the head. He commits suicide, but his handyman, his right hand man, Tony, is still out there. And Tony basically ha- is like enacting the. the we did last- get a. We forgot about the confrontation between Eric and Tony earlier, where uh, oh, uh, right. Tony uh, Eric is busy playing. He's moodily playing the piano, which is how he uh, he gets out his emotions. He just plays some piano. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Tony comes in and he's like, you should be part of the telethon. Mm-hmm. And um, he blows him off and he, he says, oh, your dad's doing a lot of great things. You know, he's a great man. And he's like, my dad's not a great man. He just has good PR, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then that's about it. So Father Blake is dead. And now uh, Louis. You make him sound like a priest. <laughs> Yeah, so Louise is going, she was going to the telethon, but of course the father is dead, so so uh, that's the, the end of the telethon, but she still shows up, and... Uh, nobody is there. Nobody's there. So she goes into the studio, and we should also point out that Tony was the one running the skeevy audition that she had to go through to yeah, get the he job. Yeah, he was the guy saying, take off your skirt. Yeah. And then... The, also, the police have been doing mm-hmm. things and making connections and stuff, and actually they... Uh, they bring in Mark. They, they bring in Mark, they interrogate him, and also uh, the detective's uh, sidekick there. I forget this guy's name. I don't know his name But he either. comes in with a report, hey, we found Isabel's body. Yeah. This is where we learn that she's been in a, in a garbage dump. Yeah. Sad, sad, tragic ending. And um, at this point, uh, that's when they realize Mark isn't the killer. Um, and the police, I think... Oh, we forgot about Tina getting killed. She oh, gets killed right. at the she club. Gets, yeah, she gets killed and at the she, club. And she tries to use her pitchfork, pitchfork in her uh, self-defense. Yeah. It does not work. No. She gets stabbed, mm-hmm. slashed across the throat. Yes. Sadly. Uh, I liked her character. She was good. Um, so then we... So now we're, we're at the climax, and basically everyone's kind of put it together. Holy crap, Tony is the killer. We all got to get there. Uh, uh, but Did uh, people really put that together? Like, does Eric know that think, Tony's the killer? I think Eric did because he... How does he put it together? Because his father says, I had Tony take care of it. Oh. Mm, Tony took care of them. And Tony is now going after, he basically emerges and pulls out a knife and says, like, I've gotten pretty good with this. Yeah, and, and this is the whole... This is the, the exposition dump, which is... Yeah, the, the old villain exposition dump where he's like, ah, I've been trying to get you degenerates and sickos yeah. off the street, you scum. You try to bring us down, us good men, like, us, you don't understand how good we are. Um, and, like, there's even a great scene where, like, she escapes into a service elevator, and we just see his face in the window of the service elevator just smiling at her, like, hee, hee, hee. Because she closes it on him, and then she starts going up, and he's like, ha, 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 ha. I'm going to get you. I'm going to use the stairs. So she goes up to the roof. They're on the roof alone. Uh, Eric shows up, and he makes it to the roof in record time. Like, literally, from ground floor to roof, because he runs up a fire escape. Like, no time he's on the roof. Uh, also, you, you figured out that this was the old Omni building at yeah, Bathurst yeah, yeah. in front. Yeah. And when they're on the roof, you can you can see the old CN Tower pretty clearly. Straight there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no hiding it. The, the lower shaft of the CN Tower, not the And then we, and when you see, we do see the top, like, at a different, uh, okay. after, after, that. yeah. So basically, Tony and Eric, like, they have a little bit of a fight, and Eric winds up throwing Tony off of the, the roof, which is a great, there's a great dummy hit where, like, the dummy hits a, a canopy, a and then canopy, falls into a uh, into a dumpster. A dumpster. Yeah, you wouldn't metaphor. think that this would actually kill Tony. It he, would just maybe break his arm. I think it would also break his skull because, like, the way that if his he head fall, hit, yeah, yeah, I guess if he falls the right yeah. way. But yeah. there's an opening for an American Nightmare yeah. too. If anyone and then wants we to hear, make. I kind of want to. And then we hear sirens and uh, Louise and Eric walk away and fade out on a glorious Toronto morning. And that was American Nightmare. Gosh, you could you could do a sequel too, and you could just set it in like 1985. Yeah, yeah. But Toronto's changed way too much. That's the I know it would be it would be hard to the scouting and stuff would be hard. You could do it. 
Yeah. I mean, if they did it for the... Um... Shoot New York as Toronto. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about the behind the scenes in this film. So like I said, it was shot on a shoestring budget of 200000 Canadian dollars in 1981 in Toronto. Uh, John Shepard actually wrote the first draft of the script in 24 hours, and this was his first film. Uh, Shepard also wrote 1985's Mark of Cain, the English dialogue for Jackie Chan's Operation Condor to the Armor of the Gods. He wrote a ton of MacGyver episodes, as well as episodes of Robocop, the series, Counter-Strike, the early, Canadian, the early 1990s Canadian TV series. He wrote for Lonesome Dove, the series, FX, the series, The Lost World, the series, a lot of movie-to-TV show I adaptations. there was a Lost World series. Yeah. Um, and he also wrote a bunch of early 2000s direct-to-DVD stuff. Uh, John Shepard also directed the film Higher Education in 1988. The film was produced by Ray Sager, who got his start acting in Herschel Gordon-Lewis films, such as The Gruesome Twosome, Blast Off Girls, Just for the Hell of It, The Wizard of Gore, The Stuff Will Kill Ya, The Year of the Yahoo, and The Gore Gore Girls. Sager began his producing career with, the, with American Nightmare and then went on to produce many classic Canadian TV series, including Danger Bay, Wind at My Back, Myth Quest, The Eleventh Hour, and The Republic of Doyle. No beachcombers, though. So. No. He is best known for producing the, the Prom Night series of films, beginning with Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, continuing with Prom Night 3, The Last Kiss, and concluding with Prom Night 4, Deliver Us from Evil. He also produced the Canadian erotic thriller Cold Sweat, starring Dave Thomas and Shannon Tweed. Oh, God, Dave Thomas in an erotic thriller? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh... The film stars uh, Wet Blanket, Lawrence Day as Eric... This is one of only six acting credits he had, two of which are for, are for Canadian uh, Television Hall of Fame all-timers, including The Littlest Hobo and Seeing Things, which is the, uh, the Louis Delgrand Psychic Reporter Fights Crime TV show. Uh, the film, of course, features Canadian national treasure Michael Ironside as Sergeant Schuyler. If I have to give you a background on Michael Ironside, we're doomed as a society. He was also in Top Gun. Mm -hmm. Importantly, this film features uh, former Nova Scotia MPP and federal MP uh, Lenore Zan. In the she role plays of Tina. Tina yeah. Yes, Tina. So Lenore Zan is not only a, uh, a decent politician, but she also has a fantastic career in acting, including Canadian slasher films like Happy Birthday to Me, Visiting Hours. She's also in DEFCON 4, which we'll be discussing in a, a few weeks. Uh, she was in 1987's Conexploitation Freakout Pretty Kill. Um... She also appeared in Cold Sweat. She had a run on Canadian t on the Canadian TV show uh, Street Legal. She was, was going to say if Street Legal doesn't pop up somewhere here. I know she was in an episode of RoboCop <laughs> the series. She was an episode of the teen fashion drama Catwalk. Ah yes. Mm -hmm. An episode of the Canadian vampire cop drama Forever Night, which I highly recommend that show because it's bonkers. She also had huge success as a voice actress, having voiced Rogue in the classic 1990s X Men animated series. Uh, and she actually went uh, rep reprised her role as Rogue in several Capcom X-Men video games. And she will be reprising the role of Rogue in the upcoming X-Men 97 animated series for Disney+. Plus. This is just sort of random, but was the uh, the old TV show Beauty and the Beast also shot in Toronto? Or with the Linda Hamilton I know one? what you're... I don't know. With Ron Perlman as the Beast? It feels like it would be a Canadian TV show, but I think it might have been a Los Angeles show. Uh, but do back, you remember that one, Phil? I do. But back to Lenore Zan. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. She also did voice acting on the 1990 Spider-Man animated series. Uh, of, I think at least one Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV series, the Avengers animated series, Dragon Tales, My Little Pony, and just a ton of work which I haven't even mentioned yet. Uh, the film also stars Laura Staley as Louise, who we discussed early earlier. Um, and the film was directed by uh, Don McBrearity. Uh, he made his directing debut with the 1975 documentary, Gay or Straight, Is There a Choice? Um, <laughs> has not aged well. Um, he actually hates this movie um, and only did it for the money, which I hate that because I really like this movie. It's gnarly and great. Um, he went on to direct a lot of TV, including My Secret Identity, 21 Jump Street, The Odyssey, ENG, Catwalk, not the episode that Lenore, Lenore Zan was in. Uh, Road to Avonlea, Emily of New Moon, Wind at My Back, Regener Regenerous, Genesis. Oh, yeah, I remember Regenesis. All eight episodes of the limited series October 1970, a bunch of Heartland episodes, Bomb Girls, ten episodes of Murdoch Mysteries, and has been doing crappy Christmas movies for the past ten years. What was that city TV sci-fi show, the one Malcolm McDowell was in? Not Lex. Lex, that's the yeah. one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah that was class. 
Um, and that was that, so. That's all the notes I got on American Nightmare. So, guys, final thoughts on American Nightmare. Phil, I enjoyed this one. Yeah. Anything else? Not particularly. Uh, it hits it hits the right beats. Uh, the, you know, it's uh, I love seeing early eighties Toronto, and mm-hmm. uh, I actually think this is, this is probably the best Forty Second Street exploitation movie that probably never played Forty yeah, Second Street. Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, Kit. What are your final thoughts on American Nightmare? Yeah, good and skeevy. Yeah. Not not much else to say about it, but yeah, it was uh, mm-hmm. fun. It was uh, not too long too. Didn't overstay its welcome. Yeah, eighty-seven minutes. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a good giallo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as for me, my final thoughts. I love this film. Uh, it's gnarly as heck. It's gross, uh, and it shows off that you know Canada was not this clean, pristine environment. We see a lot of great shots of Young Street. We see the infamous Rio Theater, our our greatest Canadian grindhouse cinema. Or probably the only true one in the sense that it played four movies every day, all day long. Um, it's it's yeah, it's gnarly. Uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a Charles Bronson uh, film yeah. that's going to. Yeah. We can only guess which one. Yeah, exactly. You see a bunch of stuff. You see a lot of. You see a bit of Cinema 2000. You see some adult bookstores. You see some pinball. There's a great montage where they go around to like all these Young Street staples of like the Funland Fun Arcade, Arcade yeah. uh, pin, the pinball spot, like all these different places that don't exist anymore and. Made Toronto just a bit more cooler, a bit more fun than it is now. Yeah, you can see the Sam the Record Man sign. Briefly, yeah. yeah. Back when it was just one record before it became two twinned. So yeah, American Nightmare. I think we all enjoyed it. It was a great way to kick off our Canadiana series. And we'll be back with the next film, which it depends on availability of a special guest host. So we'll just have to wait and see what that'll be. Ooh, exciting. Mysterious. So for Death by Video. I've been Phil. I've been Kit. And I'm still Graham saying thank you so much for listening. Keep watching amazing movies. Good night. Hunter!